Jiu-Jitsu is the world's most effective martial art, spanning centuries, even millennia, from the ancient Japanese samurai to today's modern military. Find out what you know about this intense and legendary fighting system. From the dojo to the octagon, we bring the Jiu-Jitsu Master Podcast. This is Sri Pendikatla, and I'm here with my co-host, Shihan Russell St. Hilaire, 7th degree black belt in Kobukai Jiu-Jitsu. Hi, Shihan. How are you doing today? Doing well. Thanks for having me. Great. For the first time, you can give our listeners an idea of what this podcast is all about. Sure. So I would like to talk about various aspects of Jiu-Jitsu, the Japanese self-defense art, everything from uh, how it's used for self-defense, its history, uh, how it's changed over the years, how it came to America, how it influences uh, mixed martial arts today, and how to do things like run the business, you know, best study for your different belts and ranks, some of the terminology that's associated with it, sort of everything that's involved in understanding jujitsu. Great. And hopefully we'll get to hear about your history and your experience levels and about who this podcast would definitely benefit. Sure, yeah, I'd be happy to do that. So let's start off maybe by telling us about yourself and your your experience and what style of jiu-jitsu and other martial arts that you bring to the table. Sure. So I have been studying the martial arts for 35-plus years. I started studying jiu-jitsu. My first teacher back in 1980, and I was working in a gym, I was really into weightlifting and that sort of stuff at that time. You know, he was uh, attending the gym and we got talking and he invited me to come to his dojo and it's all history from there. So I became very fascinated with jujitsu as a martial art. Of course, back in those days, there was no such thing as mixed martial arts or the UFC or any of that sort of thing. Um, so what fascinated, fascinated me most about that art was how realistic it was. So not only did we learn a structured curriculum where we learned, you know, attack and defense and, um, you know, how to defend against weapons and that sort of thing, but we also did, you know, what was seen strange back then, but is done in almost every dojo today. We did a lot of competitions. So we did a lot of grappling on the ground. We did a lot of um, basically no holds bar fighting where we would just put in a mouthpiece and wear no protective equipment whatsoever and just go at each other. So that was sort of the environment that I came up in. Uh, my first instructor was uh, Shihan Dan Yusti. And he's part of a long uh, lineage of, of jiu-jitsu instructors in one of the styles that I studied, which is Zen Budo Ryu. And I spent probably about 10 years or so with him. And then uh, I studied Aiki Jiu-Jitsu, which is a very old art. It's sort of the precursor to Aikido. So I studied that while I was living in Southern California with uh, Sensei Wes Levins. And then I was in the military after that in the U.S. Army, where I studied uh, military combatives. And I also then began to study uh, Kodenkan Danzanryu Jiu-Jitsu, which is also a very old Japanese style that came from Japan and, and then was set up in Hawaii and then eventually came to the United States. So over the years, I probably put a good 20 years worth of intense personal study in, along with being uh, an instructor and, and opening my own schools. Thank you for giving us that insight. 
Now, who do you believe this podcast would benefit the most? And who are, who do you think our audience is going to be? And what can they get out of this? I think two audiences um, in particular. I mean, you study and you get to be an instructor and have your own school and have a black belt and, and all of that. And that is a great achievement. But the the more you know important achievement is being able to pass on that knowledge and do it in a effective way, an effective manner. So a good part of these podcasts will be for the student coming up, learning, wants to know about history, wants to know details of techniques, wants to know philosophy, etc. So a, a big focus is going to be for the student. Now, of course, there's going to be things for the instructor also, right? How to be a more effective instructor, how to really train your students well, um, how to pass on knowledge and philosophy, you know, how to most effectively find the ways that your students learn and teach them that way. And then, of course, we're going to talk about some things that are just cool for everybody to learn about. Probably not everybody really knows, you know, the history of things like MMA in the United States or military combatives and how jujitsu played a big part in that or other arts around the world that actually come from jujitsu. We talk a little bit about, you know, ranks and what that means and what it means to be a jujitsu master and, and other questions that I, I get from students and instructors all the time. Definitely look forward to that in future podcasts. Now, you're a seventh degree black belt, and, and and I had referred to you as Shihan. For our listening audience that may not know what that term or title means, could you give us a description or, or definition of that? Sure, absolutely. So Shihan is a honorific title, and let me let me explain to it by putting it into context. So when you are involved in a Japanese dojo, it's especially in America, uh, you're going to hear the word sensei being the in instructor in the school, and in Japanese. Sensei just means teacher, and it doesn't specifically refer to uh, a teacher in a martial arts school. It refers to any teacher. It could refer to your high school teacher or your college teacher or, you know, your teacher of origami, whatever. So it's just a term that's, you know, means teacher or instructor. And then there are some honorific terms that they use that really reflects uh, the person's tenure and commitment, uh, very similar to what we might do in American uh, or European universities with uh, certain professor level titles. So Shihan basically just means a, a master instructor or an instructor of instructors. So it's someone who other instructors come to uh, to continue to learn from. Um, it, it usually reflects somebody that's, you know, spent you know, more than a couple of decades as an instructor. Um, it really reflects their ability to instruct, how they think about instructing, their commitment to their students and to the progression of the art. It certainly does reflect some of the, the technical ability associated with it. Obviously, the, the person has to really know what they're doing and be able to, you know, truly execute it. But it's not all about that. It's, it's really about being that master level instructor. So typically, if you were thinking about... Uh, belt ranking type system, which was, you know, originally invented by judo. If somebody that's maybe a sixth or seventh degree black belt, um, depending on the system that they're in, would be considered a shihan. There's also some jujitsu systems out there for one reason or the other. I, th I think they actually took it from judo where instead of using the term shihan, they used the term professor. Um, they were, you know, trying to be more accepted by the Western thinking of, of educational titles. Uh, but it pretty much means the same thing. And then there is actually one title that's uh, that's higher than that from an honorific title, and that would be Hanshi, reflecting someone who's just given their entire life uh, to to the art and um, has had hundreds of students and, and many black belts and has really helped pass on the knowledge from one generation to the other. 
So I hope that covers it. Yes, thank you. I'm sure there's a lot more depth we can get into it when it comes to talking about other styles as well. You mentioned judo, and there's also karate and other Asian and non-Asian martial arts when it comes to um, teaching and in the philosophies, which many people may not be aware of. So I think that's something that in the future would we'd love to hear more about. I'd love to talk about it. Sure. You mentioned that you were also in the military. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Sure, absolutely. I was in the U.S. Army. I was uh, stationed in Washington, D.C. after going through my basic training at Fort Benning as an infantryman. And uh, I was already involved in the martial arts for, for quite a while at that point. Um, you know, once the military found out about that, after I was, I was in, I was picked up to be a hand-to-hand combat instructor, civil disturbance instructor, essentially a riot control instructor for um, the 3rd U.S. Infantry at Fort Myer. It's actually in Arlington, Virginia, but people consider it to be in Washington, D.C. because of, you know, Arlington National Cemetery and those type of things that people are familiar with. Um, so, you know, one of our uh, missions uh, as a battalion there was riot control, right? Washington, D.C. is a place that people, through the freedom of speech that they have in this country, are able to protest the things that they don't like. And, you know, one of our jobs was to make sure that that remained peaceful and, and kept in control. So that was something that uh, we trained in and I had had uh, some knowledge of. But also what was very interesting is although I brought a lot of my jujitsu knowledge and, and ran a jujitsu class and taught the military police, the SRT teams, um, you know, I taught the Washington, D.C. Police Academy instructors and instructors from uh, the FBI Academy at Quantico. I also learned some things uh, from the military, and and the military has a long uh, and involved history with jujitsu. Right from the beginning, it's it's really what formed the military combatives program and even has some very close ties to uh, one of the systems that I learned. So it was was very good to be able to exchange knowledge between uh, somebody who was traditional jiu-jitsu martial artists and people who learn jiu-jitsu in a combatives way. So I got to share some you know, great knowledge with some really uh, excellent combatives instructors. You know, and, and the military combatives is a totally different mentality, uh, which I really gravitated towards and, and picked up very quickly. You know, it's very very quick, very effective. Uh, they don't want to stay engaged for very long. They have to take into consideration that, you know, unarmed self-defense is a secondary self-defense for them, that their weapon systems are primary, you know, and they're often wearing uniforms and body armor and, and, and that sort of thing. So it really took on a whole different aspect. And, and I really fell in love with that. After I got out of the military, I continued to, you know, teach what I learned there to military units and to police departments, et cetera, uh, because it was something that they found to be you know, very, a very useful form of jujitsu as opposed to, you know, going to a dojo and wearing a uniform sort of thing. So that's, uh, that's sort of my history with the military. Well, that's quite impressive. You have a varied background from traditional martial arts all the way through the modern combat and military experience. So definitely the real deal. Now, can you tell us about what Kobukai Jiu-Jitsu is when you started that? Sure, I'd be happy to. Kobukai is really the name of the dojo, or now dojos, right? So Kobukai uh, is a term that's been used in Japan for a long time, and it just really refers to a place where they're practicing the, um, you know, kind of the old school martial arts. Uh, that that name kind of came about as the samurai were starting to be disbanded, and 
you know, guns and cannons and stuff were starting to be brought into uh, warfare in Japan. And, and so the people that practice the unarmed or lightly armed uh, self-defense arts, you know, were kind of considered old school. And so Kobukai literally means ko meaning old or ancient, bu meaning war or warrior, and kai meaning uh, an association or an organization or a club. With those put together, um, they don't. It doesn't literally translate, but it basically means you know this is the place where you go and you practice the old school warrior arts. So, we loved that name. Um, myself and a and another gentleman uh, named Joe Carvalco, who was also a longtime martial artist, studied you know jujitsu and karate and a couple different styles of kung fu and ninjutsu. We met each other and started training together and really started exploring all of the arts that we had learned. You know, we we both gravitated very much towards the jujitsu side of things. You know, one thing that we wanted to do initially just as an experiment, it really didn't have anything to do with, you know, thinking about how we were teaching students or anything, was to try to poke at the techniques and find holes in them, right? So what things had weaknesses in it? What had weak angles? What ones were easy to escape from? You know, were there different versions of these techniques that we learned that were more effective, quicker, uh, more dominant? And so over a period of years, mainly on a bunch of mats in my garage, uh, we really, um, really scrubbed through hundreds and hundreds of techniques until we came up with a group of techniques we felt you know, were the strongest that we could find. Most of them were from jujitsu, but, you know, there were plenty that were from combatives. Uh, there was, you know, a, a spattering of things from from ninjutsu, from aikijutsu, from combatives, from uh, wrestling, judo. So there was a, a few different things in there that uh, were interspersed. Uh, we, we also focused a lot on weapon defense, so against knife and gun and club and uh, rifle and and you know, then we also worked a lot on scenario based stuff. So handling yourself in a hostage situation, a carjacking situation, a street fight, um, you know, being attacked uh, at home, that sort of thing was very intriguing to us. So I would say more accidentally than not, you know, there was some interest through friends and then through some friends of friends. And the next thing you know, we had a bunch of people training with us in, in a garage in Seymour, Connecticut. And uh, things just grew from there. We outgrew the garage and, you know, we needed to find a place. So we we were both working in uh, southwestern uh, Connecticut at that point. And uh, in a nearby town from where we were working, there was a Taekwondo school that was uh, advertising. They wanted to sublet some space on nights that they didn't have class. So we jumped in there and, and uh, that was in Norwalk, Connecticut. We really grew the school at that point and, and had a, you know, a really good uh, group of students you know, the school migrated over the years uh, to different towns in, in Connecticut, depending on where we were living and working and where the student base was, eventually ended up in the Hartford, Connecticut area, uh, where we still have a few schools today. What really distinguishes um, Kobukai Jiu-Jitsu, I think, from most other Jiu-Jitsus, uh, certainly that I've had experience with, but also just through what my students have, it's a very structured program for learning. So it's not it's not structured about telling you what you have to do in a fight or anything like that, but it's a very structured learning program where you learn in building blocks that help you not only learn faster, but more effectively fit your body style and really make you a well-rounded uh, martial artist. We use four basic ranks um, that have about 50 techniques in each rank. Techniques are broken down into um, you know self-defense scenarios, striking, escaping, arrest and restraint, groundwork and weapon defense at each level. 
And typically, if you stay around long enough and study hard enough, you can get your black belt. Um, you know, it depends on how hard you study and just sort of what your natural abilities are. We've had somebody make it in three and a half years. Most people are more like in the five-year range. We've had others go longer. Um, that's really not important. But what is important is it's a structured program that anybody can learn from. And uh, will certainly make them an incredibly well-rounded martial artist and, and absolutely able to defend themselves. Awesome. And I'm certainly fortunate to have met you and done some training with you. So you mentioned there are dojos. Could you tell our audience where uh, they're located, currently located in any affiliate schools? Sure, absolutely. So um, we have a school, uh, Kobukai Jiu-Jitsu Dojo, which is uh, in South uh, Windsor, Connecticut. Uh, Sensei Jake Kosianda runs that uh, school with the help of, of other black belts. We have a Kobukai Jiu-Jitsu program being taught at the uh, Jiu-Jitsu and Strength Academy in Cromwell, Connecticut, uh, under Sensei Matt Breyers, and um, he's got a great uh, a great facility there. Lots of great students. I know some of the black belt instructors also help out. I personally teach uh, in Boynton Beach, Florida, uh, where I live now, and uh, have a great group of students here. Um, and then we have some affiliate dojos. So these are dojos that have, you know, their own programs, but were significantly influenced by Kobukai Jiu-Jitsu during, you know, their development. Um, there is a Zen Budo Ryu school in New Milford, Connecticut called Zendo Jiu-Jitsu with uh, Sensei uh, Sean Juggler and um, a fantastic martial artist that I've known for a very long time. Uh, some of his instructors also have studied with us uh, pretty extensively. Um, there's also a, uh, a school called Budokai South, which is in uh, Aiken, uh, South Carolina. A guy named Jim Barry uh, runs a dojo there, and, and uh, he spent a lot of time training with me also. Has definitely some influence in Kobukai Jiu-Jitsu. I know there's a few other uh, students out there that uh, don't have any formal schools, but you know they've trained with us and uh, have brought some of our teachings to wherever they're they're learning now. So I really appreciate them them doing that. I think one of the strengths of Kobukai Jiu-Jitsu is you know we're we're more a philosophy than a curriculum. You know, there's only so many ways you can twist up uh, uh, and throw a body. I'm sure across all martial arts, uh, they're all. They're all known. There's nothing new that's out there. But, you know, the philosophy of our dojo that uh, traditional Japanese jujitsu is the most effective self-defense art in the world is well proven out. Uh, and I think all of our students and instructors know that. And it's also such a well-rounded art that the people who really enjoy doing competition, such as um grappling competitions or Brazilian jiu-jitsu competitions or uh, regular jiu-jitsu competitions, self-defense competitions, they're all able to take what they learned at Kobukai jiu-jitsu, slightly adapt it for the competitive environment. You're quite a pl prolific writer as well. You, you have numerous blogs and you've published books. Could you tell our audience about, about your works and things that you've authored and uh, what you have in store for the future? Sure. Yeah, I do. I do love writing as a hobby. Um, it's something that I've always enjoyed. Uh, you know, when I put pen to paper or, or type, my mind flows pretty freely and clearly, sometimes much better than I actually speak. Um, so I enjoy that. Uh, I think early on, I was just really, really interested in the history of what I was learning and the history of jujitsu and you know, I had asked uh, various instructors questions over the years, and I got some good answers, and then there were a bunch of, you know, not so good answers, or they just didn't even know, or things had been lost to time. And 
I just became fascinated with researching that and finding out what was going on. So my first real, you know, foray into writing anything meaningful was uh, to talk about the history of, of jujitsu as I knew it at that time. So it was all the instructors in my in my school. So, uh, you know, Professor Eusti and then his instructor, Professor Kunzman and his instructor, Duke Moore and his instructor Ray Law and going back into the into history and so I did everything I could to put together materials and pictures and find biographies of them and uh, just kind of made a little pamphlet handed out to people at school so we had a good history recorded and um, somewhere around that time you know was the first uh, time that you had the ability to create your own website so I had a real basic uh, website although I I did grab kobukaijujitsu.com like I don't know, really, really long time ago. <laughs> and even though it was an incredibly basic site, you know, some of it was about that history. And I just wrote articles and, and uh, there was no blogs at that point, but I wrote a lot of articles about things that I was interested in. Uh, then I moved on to really my first book and uh, that's called Pioneers of American Jiu-Jitsu, Jiu-Jitsu before World War II. And that really came about from that early website where I had made a statement that uh, one of the styles that I learned, uh, Kudenkan Danzan Ryu, that uh, Okazaki, Sushiro Okazaki, who was leading that system, was the first person to teach uh, jujitsu to non-Japanese. And I got a polite email from somebody to say, I really enjoyed your website, but what you said there about Okazaki is not true. And I know that because my grandfather was actually the first American to get taught jujitsu, and it was taught in Japan and blah, blah, blah. So I developed a, a good relationship with this man named John O'Brien, whose grandfather, also named John O'Brien, was really the first American to learn jujitsu from Japanese people, brought it to the United States. I got fascinated with that story and started to explore who were the other people that brought you know, jujitsu to the United States. And there were many. There were many. Some of them came from Shanghai, China, uh, which was highly occupied by the Japanese. Some came from Japan. Some came through, you know, through Europe. So it was. Uh, there were men and women alike. So it was a very interesting, uh, you know, history that I didn't know a lot about. So I researched that for a little over a year. I had a lot of documents and notes and stuff given to me by students and relatives of all of these great teachers, uh, lots of pictures. And so I put it together into this book, Pioneers of American Jiu-Jitsu. And, uh, you know, people seem to really enjoy understanding uh, how Jiu-Jitsu came to the country uh, first. I've also done a lot of blog stuff. So um, I have uh, Shihan's blog, which is associated with Kobukai Jiu-Jitsu, which is just seriously a set of random things that I'm, you know, interested in talking about having to do with self-defense, combatives, Jiu-Jitsu, history, uh, the martial arts in general, belt ranking systems, titles, everything you could think of. And uh, so that would probably be uh, something that uh, when you you know get done listening to this podcast, you might want to go over and read some some things on the blog. I'm also you know interested uh, in some stuff that I picked up while I was in the military on on surviving. Not being a survivalist, I'm, I'm not that kind of person, but I'm talking about just surviving in difficult situations uh, and understanding how to take care of yourself and your family in situations like a hurricane or your you know, car goes off a bridge and falls into a river or um, you're lost in the wilderness or you know, you're the victims of earthquakes or things that you know, are just dangerous and can happen and put your life in peril. Um, I've done a lot of research on uh, how to best survive those situations and and have a blog that, you know, talks about uh, surviving in those situations called Survive Self-Defense, and it's the Survive blog. Please feel free to check that out. I've also done a work of fiction called The Contractor, and uh, one of my early students, who I won't use his name 
right now, but he was one of my early students, started when uh, he was about 17 years old, you know, eventually went into the Navy, became a Navy SEAL. After doing many interesting things with the Navy SEALs, he went on to become a private uh, military contractor and uh, was a very high level person that helped train other militaries and you know, protected some of the highest level people in our country as they traveled abroad in dangerous countries. He regaled me with uh, interesting stories over the years that eventually got written down, turned into a fictional uh, story that has a lot of great martial art and combative and military type adventure in that book. And I really enjoyed uh, writing writing that book. So that pretty cover, pretty much covers my my writing history. Well, thank you for sharing all of that, Shihan. For our listeners, um, definitely you can check out your work on your blogs. Continue to listen to our podcast. I think there's a lot of material cover to keep us going for a long time to come. <laughs> I hope so. So that's it for today. And uh, thanks again, Shihan, for sharing all that information and insight about yourself and your experience and your style and about all the philosophies. Definitely look, looking forward to future podcasts. Sounds great. And, and when we get you know these podcasts uh, all up and running, um, I'm going to leave a little contact form on the bottom of the page. Anybody that's listening that might have some questions about jujitsu or something they've been interested in, like to hear me talk about, uh, besides all the subjects that you know we, we've already got lined up, I'd be happy to, uh, to respond. So I want to thank you much, Sri, for, um, for co-hosting this and looking forward to our next podcast about uh, jujitsu and being a jujitsu master. Thank you.